0: I loved the church I grew up in, and I loved its youth group, but I have to tell you, I did not belong to the socio-political or economic uh, majority of our congregation. You see, where I come from, I was the city kid, and everyone else in that church, because it was just on the outskirts of town, came from a more rural background. Future Farmers of America kids were everywhere in the youth group. I wasn't interested in that, nor did I know anything about it, so we were kind of like oil and water, but we became friends. Throughout the years, I found out that there was a lot of judgment about the way my mom and dad raised us by some of the other youth group parents, you see. They all went to private Christian schools, or they went to country schools, which in their minds was tantamount to a private, private Christian education. Certainly they were gonna raise their kids to be Christians and have a Christian mindset and worldview and have the ethics of a Christian. But my mom and dad in town sent me to the big, bad, scary public school. And of course there, well, there were drugs there, as if there's never drugs in country schools. Well, there is hip hop and rock and roll as if that wasn't in the country schools. The time went on and about six of us boys out of the youth group all felt called into ministry. Six of us boys went off to school to study ministry. One of us boys became a minister. One of these boys remained a Christian. My mom and I sometimes talk about that judgment that you can feel from even people in your own community and how sometimes that judgment cuts and it cuts deeply judgment it's a tough pill to swallow isn't it I mean who among us has not felt unnecessarily judged at least one time or another we even cast judgment upon ourselves in unhealthy ways And by that, I don't mean taking stock or a moral inventory or assess where we're at. I'm talking about that harsh cut of judgment in ourselves. Like when we dare to compare ourselves with other people. Sometimes in our cultural milieu, that is called keeping up with the Joneses, but it's deeper than that. It's when we look at other people and we paint a rose-colored picture of how their life must be much better than our own, how they find so much more success than we can find for ourselves. Who of us has not beaten themselves up one time or another? Perhaps when it was dark in your bedroom and you couldn't sleep at night and you start telling yourself stories about how When you said this thing, you really spoke out of line, or I shouldn't have mentioned this joke, or I shouldn't have done this thing, and I'm bad, and I'm bad, and I'm not good enough. And sometimes we judge ourselves by creating up impossible expectations to live up to, like, I have to do everything perfectly, or I have to attain this level of excellence in everything I do 100% of the time. I know one thing is true about the scriptures. It is that we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves, which probably has something to say about how we evaluate or judge some other people in the world but it says more than that. Because if I'm to love my neighbor as much as I love myself, then that tells me through implication that I owe myself love too. The question asked today, and this probably being the final sermon in our sermon series, Journeying Through Doubt, which is all about the tough questions that we navigate through as we walk the pathways of faith, it concerns the question of Christians should judge the morality of other people. The questioner went on to say that they hear much in the mouths of the Christians that they are around speaking of being anti-this or anti-that, anti-abortion or anti-pro-choice or anti-gay or anti-trans or cisgender or anti-immigration, and the list went on and on and on. When I read this email, because this is the first time I received a question that was so direct, I won't say who asked it, but when I read the list, I thought there's no way I'm going to touch much much of that with a 10-foot pole on this Sunday, because there's just too much to talk about. The litany was so long that I just wonder, how can I enter into every debate with this one sermon? So I'm just reminded as we try to talk a piece of it, of that old phrase, how do you go about eating an elephant? One bite at a time, which reminds me of a book that I love. It's a book any aspiring writer should buy. It's by an, an, an author named Anne Lamott. Anne Lamott happens to be a Christian. She was raised in a non-Christian home and lived a life full of vice and difficulty. And when she came through the other side and the, saving arms of Jesus Christ, she had a view of life that was rather non-judgmental. I'll spare you all her titles and I'll spare you the story she's worth your time reading. But she reflects in this book on how to write about her brother who had to do a project in his school about birds. He had to list birds and describe birds and explain their habits and migration patterns and it was All too much. Because if you ever walk outside your house in the morning, you hear bird songs from countless birds. There are so many birds. He got overwhelmed as he sat at his homework table. I imagine the dining room just getting frustrated like I got frustrated when I was doing homework at his age. And his dad came over to him and said, with his arm around his son, he looked at him and he said, son, bird by bird. Just do it bird by bird. That's the title of her book, Bird by Bird. We have to think about the question of judgment or how we evaluate the world one morsel at a time. But I think there's some things we have to point out, some prefaces to us Christians thinking about making judgments. The first is this, And I may make some of you a little upset or uneasy, and that's okay. We can talk about it later. But I aim to criticize the language of culture war. I shouldn't shock you because I do it a lot. The culture wars. You ever hear about that? It's often said like this, here's a group of people with a certain ideology and they're against this group of people with a different ideology and the language of war is what connects them and it's over ideas and habits and practices and institutions and everything else and laws. Culture wars are not born in the first century of the church. Culture wars really started emerging big time in the 70s and 80s by political parties and corporations that made use of religious communities as weapons. You can go back to my previous sermon about Christians behaving badly. That's got culture war wrapped up into it. Or, or you can hear me talk in other sermons about the dangers of nationalism, where nation-states take use of religious organizations to puff up their own power. This is happening in Russia right now with certain Eastern Orthodox churches, but it happens here all the time too. And then there's the word war. It really bothers me how often we use the word war, especially as Christians who are supposed to be people of Peace. But think about it like this. We use the word war all the time, and it makes us think different thoughts. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, he's still fighting his fight or his battle with cancer. Do you ever wonder what mindset that puts a person who has cancer in? You could say this. She is still journeying her journey through cancer. It's a little different, isn't it? And you may think, Jared, why are you talking about this small little thing? But let me tell you, there are scientific studies going on right now about the difference of the way we even talk about the diagnosis. War versus journey. Or think about politicians that say, thanks for joining me in the fight for this. We're going to keep on fighting. It's always a fight. No wonder we're so polarized in this country. makes me sad to open up the newspaper or turn on a news station and hear the actual research from Pew and other researchers that research Christian organizations and other faith-based organizations. It says right now that people would rather worship with people who voted just like them and they don't want to worship with people who worship, voted a different way. Why? Why? We're not to be at war with each other. We're to be at the table. But nevertheless, war is used. I had an old friend tell me something about this when we were talking together. I said, why why are we always wanting to raise up fists, even if it's just ideological fists? And he said, Jared, it's easy. If you tell someone they're at war, they're going to act like it. And second, I must remind us that Our faith is not about what we're against. It's certainly a privileged country that we live in, giving us the rights of our worship that lets us think about only what we're against. That's not what faith is about though. Can't be just about what you're against, it has to be what you're for. If you leave today, remember, I think we ought to be about being red letter Christians, not scarlet lettered ones. One of my best buddies, Dan, came to seminary and we were in a class together. There's a philosophy that does a lot of deconstruction and it's out in the world today, deconstruction. It's where you, you dismantle ideas, right? And the young students that were in the class were all excited about deconstructing this idea or that idea, tearing apart the past or tearing apart tradition or tearing apart whatever. And he got real frustrated in class and he said, it's not good enough to deconstruct, you've got to reconstruct too. You've got to be about building something the third last wrench that i'll throw into the language this morning is that not all judgments are bad ones not all judgment is bad i want you to think of it for a moment it tells us in the scriptures that jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead and sometimes i'm convinced some of us are afraid and we imagine God is a very big, scary judge up in the sky. But the reality is some judgments are good ones. Sure, God may judge me and say, say to me, when you told this lie, that was wrong. But God might go to a marginalized person who has no agency in life. God may go to someone who's been treated unjustly their entire life and tell them that they were wrongly treated. God may call out the powerful who've abused and call them out. And you see, sometimes judgments are about justice. Just last week, I told some of you this story. We were having some construction done in the back of our house and minor work being done. And the guy who's doing it's a friend of ours, and he's a dog lover. He calls me and he says, you got to come out front. And I come out front and across the dead end from us, our neighbors have a for sale sign up and they have already moved away so the house is empty and tied to a mailbox under the hot hot sun was a pit bull and he couldn't he was tied so tightly he couldn't lay down on the ground you can see his rib cage and i saw this big strong builder guy that works for us crying tears neighbors came out to try to help but here's the thing I'm trying to tell you is if I knew who that person was or if I find out I will call the authorities and the judgment will say it was inhumane what you did and that sort of judgment is about putting things right or if that's too close to home and it's about an animal just think about the 20th century's Nuremberg trials when Nazis were held on trial for war crimes Certainly, they should be put on trial for the atrocities committed against people, groups, including our Jewish friends. By the way, that was low-hanging fruit. If you can't agree with me on that, I don't know what we can agree on. In fact, right here it says, low-hanging fruit example. Bring up Nazis. It doesn't really say that, but it's... Judgments causing justice. And where righteousness, stand up for the weaker party, make much sense for Christians. But so many times when we talk about those kinds of judgments, we're talking on the universal level. We're talking on the global level. We're talking about the big picture. What Jesus is talking about in our text this morning, about not being hypocritical, is really more addressing a very local level of interest. It's about the personal piety of people and the way they behave toward one another, And so maybe the two aren't the same, but they're not unrelated, because I think the spirit that lives here and what Jesus is saying must apply to the way in which we behave in the world on a global or larger or macro level. The same spirit is there. In our text this morning, Jesus is calling out to the people that they were hypocritical of each other. And he basically says to them, hey, if you have a little speck of sawdust in your eye, and How can you call out the little speck of sawdust in a person's eye if you're carrying a log in your own, right? How can you say anything to anybody else when you got stuff you're carrying you really don't have any right to? You should be so focused on getting the stuff out of your own way before you even try to help someone get the stuff out of their way. Friends, it's really easy for us, all of us, to find this thing that bothers us about someone else or that we find that we disprove of or that we don't think adheres to the gospel and give them a sidewards glance and maybe pick up the phone and call someone else to talk about it? That's easy stuff. It's easy to say, I'm against all these unchristian values in our world. We should vote people out. That's so easy. What Jesus is calling his disciples to is to get their house in order. And this is not just from Christ. that it, it emerges throughout the centuries of the church. I love, I love the theology of Rowan Williams. Here's a book that he wrote called Where God Happens. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury, not currently. He currently is a professor at Modlin College of Oxford University. And he was my doctoral professor's professor. This guy's one of the best living English-speaking theologians at work. I'm convinced of it. And this book is a reflection on what they call the desert fathers and mothers of the church. Now, in the first, second, and third, and early centuries of the church, groups of Christians, especially in the Middle East, were tired of a decadent society. A society that did not look very faithful to God. I don't know if you've seen a society like that. I have. And so they decided their response would be to move out into the desert. And I know I use the word monk, but they didn't move out by themselves. They moved out in communities to try to be a just and equitable and faithful and beautiful community of faith. And so they moved out together. And he reflects in this book on a lot of those teachings from the Desert Fathers. And he's talking about this one gentleman named Abba Moses. The monk, says Moses, must die to his neighbor and never judge him at all in any way, whatever. Easy to say, hard to do, right? And what our death with the neighbor might mean is to renounce the power of judgment over someone else. A task hard enough indeed to merit being described as death. Later, he says, my own awareness of my failure and weakness is indispensable to my communicating the gospel to my neighbor. Over and over, when you read of Abba Moses, he says not to judge because you have to get your own house in order. There's a story about him elsewhere where he is called to a trial. Some monk was found to have done some sinning somewhere. And so the community said, we've got to call this monk out and we've got to correct the monk and let's, let's have the community judge him. And he kept saying, no, that's Abba Moses. No, I don't want to go do that. I don't want to do that. I'm not about that. And they made him. So he took a leaky bucket. He filled it up, put it on his shoulder. Now you know what happens to a leaky bucket on your shoulder, don't you? spills all over you and behind you and he began to carry it through the desert to the place of the trial and they said scratching their heads Abba Moses why did you just do that with that bucket of water he said like that water my sins are behind me and you've called me to judge this man I won't do it Like this water, my sins are behind me, and you've called me to come judge this man. I will not do it. Now, we make judgments all the time. We can look at the world and think something is right or wrong. But hear me on this, church. Before you're anti-anything, tell me what you're for. Hear me on this, church. Before you start pointing out so easily what other people do wrong, what about yourself? Because if you have a little dust in your eyes, Worry about it before you get the dust out of others.